Welcome to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This is the second part of a two-part episode with co-host Josh Salzman. In last week's episode, Josh shared a tragic personal story that I believe he's still working through despite his stoic disposition and resilient approach to overcoming obstacles. This week, Josh talks about taking less shit from those that he might have tolerated in the past and shares a gut-laughing story about having to block a one-armed, one-legged kicker from Hamilton College. Hamilton College's football team hadn't won a game in over three years, and Union College, our alma mater, had a horrible football team that year. So now they're up against the worst of the worst, and they're not playing that well, and Josh has one assignment. He has to block a one-armed, one-legged kicker. And he tells the story to a buddy of his who's sitting in the hospital after having open-heart surgery, and there was one rule and one rule only for Josh. Do not make this guy laugh. But Josh just couldn't hold back. Anyway, without further ado, here's Josh. You know so this saying? brings us back to the kind of the what we were talking about and how you're dealing with people now um, and how you're like you're being true to your brand. Your brand is right. a lot of things about you, how you want to be perceived, how you want to interact with others, the things you want to accomplish for yourself. That's in today's you know day and age. It's your brand. It's your stock price. And yeah, what I'm hearing yeah. you say is that you have somehow compromised for different things and you're just not and the way you're being treated by certain people you expect better from them and so you're going to well, be true I, to your brand and and encourage them to do better or not but you're going to be true to well, your would, brand that's right and true to my brand and i'm very fortunate rich and i'm so fortunate and i have a lot of gratitude which i show every day because every day don't take it for granted you have a day it's a gift yeah because anything can happen to any of us, you know, anything, anything hit by a car, whatever, anything meteor by a Chinese satellite that goes amiss or who knows what, or a stray rocket that flies over from Russia and hits flipping the outskirts of London right now where I live. Right. So the point I'm making is make sure that you do the best. Every day should be your masterpiece. And I believe that true. And whatever you're dealing with, remember, it's it's being prepared to deal with it. And at the same time, being true to yourself. And I'm very lucky to be in the fitness profession where I'm trying to make changes. But if I don't make the changes on myself, if I don't keep learning about myself, then I can't do the best I can for others. Because then I become like just like the white smoke on PA News, which I told this lady what I thought the editor in London here of her well-being stuff that it's not going to it's not going to change people's lives it's just going to be a lot of information that leads to sensational journalism which doesn't do anything i think the greatest so, metaphor in that line is uh, and it's not meant to be a metaphor it's actually meant to be a direction is when you're on planes and you see that little sign or when they go through the safety protocol 
They're like, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on your kids and stuff. And so that's the kind of the metaphor is yours is get your house in order first, and then you'll be better to others. You can help others better. Well, let me put it in this terms with my grandchildren. If I'm going to teach Malachi, who's one now, and Gabrielle, and play with them when they're 15 years old and I'm 80, the only way I'm going to do this is to take care of myself first. The only way to do this is to make sure that I have a business and I'm firing on all cylinders best. And I'm not being knee jerked around by guilt that I shouldn't have, by cortisol and picking up anybody else's anxieties and not listening to people's other people's traumas and taking them as my own because they, I don't own it. I shouldn't have to own stuff that isn't mine. And if I can put my hand on my heart every day and say, you know what? I did the best I could today. I really did. And I didn't let, I didn't let myself down. Then I'm not going to let anybody else down. Are you still training that guy that you golfed with? You were taking him out to golf and you were going to train him while he was golfing. He was a good guy. I like that guy. And it's funny how people say to me that they do personal training courses. I did my personal training course through the YMCA, you know, and they say, when you go to someone's house, do you do a program where you do a pyramid or you do like sets or what do you do? I say, well, sometimes you just have to wait and see what you're going to get. And what you get sometimes is completely bizarre stuff. Because if you really make your living with, as I do with some high end people, you're going to see some high end weird shit. Right. And it isn't about, doing lunges and you're just trying to make sure that they get through that day right whatever weren't you telling me that 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 ex-nazi that you trained (laughs) the nazi who you found uh dead i think when you came to his place was uh there were some days you'd go in there and you guys would just talk for an hour well he could he couldn't exercise rich because he was so atrophied from being on sleeping pills and smoking cuban and cigars this is like 1990 that he was muscles had just gone atrophied and he obviously has some guilt from coming via peru and you know all the rest of it and everybody said he was an ex-nazi so he whatever went into far of that but he would just use me as a psychologist now you're an ex-nazi is using josh to abba salzman as a fucking psychologist i mean that's like you know it's like it's like Putin calling the president of uh, of 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 Ukraine now a Nazi. The guy's Jewish. He had grandparents that died in the Holocaust. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, but you know like, what I really? think the thing like, is? I think the overlying thing is we all have these relationships with people, and sometimes right. they might start off to be one thing, but they become something else because of that shared energy that you have. He somehow enjoyed conversations with you, and that hour for him. You could call it whatever you want to call it. It's like an hour with Josh. And uh, I find out when I golf with certain people that I'm not really there to golf with them, even though I enjoy the golf. It's the interaction and the conversations that we have to me are more memorable than, you know, who hit one shot and who made what putt. That's to me is totally unimportant. 100%. I tell you what, when I was with Ernie, when I would watch him, it was really important for me to see him play it Dustin, if he had good shots or bad shots but the guys that i met on the tour you know the guys that i actually walked around the course with or i'll be honest with you i met i got i call this guy dougie southern southern rock i met him on the course when i was at augusta with ernie and he said hey let's come on to the park car park i'm gonna uh, we can do a quick hit we can do a quick bong so i said really at augusta he said yeah go ahead come on so it's a random moment where you're getting stoned at augusta 
And you come back and you walk the wrong way around the course because you could have been five minutes back to the house that they're renting. Instead, I walked around the whole course like 12 miles, you know, and I had a great time. You know what I mean? I want to get just talking, just to very talking about that for a second. Uh, not just because this is a golf podcast, but um, like whenever anybody tells me a story about being inside Augusta, um, I always want to know like what it's like. I've tried to get there. I tell the story on my podcast about trying to get a job there just to be there. And I failed at that. Um, but I want to get there. It's just the tickets seem to be a little on the pricey side. And um, I'd like to go over a weekend. So anybody who's listening to this golf podcast and you have an extra ticket, I'm a really good date. But anyway, well, tell well, me what it's like inside. I, like, what if, is the environment okay, like? Okay, Dougie Southern Rock, but I'll have to look him up. But, <laughs> um, but the first time I was at Augusta, by the way, it was a practice round and I had never met David Ledbetter before. You know, the guy that got. I know Faldo David, to, of course. Yeah. I've read a lot of his yeah, stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm walking around the course with David Ledbetter. It's a practice round, so it's not during the tournament, but I'm wearing a wife beater shirt and he's looking at me like I'm some sort of nutcase. Right. But I didn't know Ernie didn't give me the heads up. So, you know, when I finally started the Augusta, Ernie dropped me off on the, just the day before the round started and he dropped me off. He said, listen, give me a little stretch and then you can take a little walk. So I'm walking around with a wife beater shirt on with shorts on with an Avion bottle doing all the wrong shit and then talking on myself. <laughs> oh, so well, were you so, allowed a cell phone back then on practice rounds? No. No. Yeah, no. I didn't think they allowed so, it at all. <laughs> yeah, right. No. So I broke every single rule there was. They yeah. should have had a poster up. Look at the 20 things this guy's doing. Don't do it. So he just threw me in the deep end. And David Ledbetter still tells that story when he does clinics. If he sees me, he goes, fucking Josh, man. Fucking Augusta with his fucking white beater shirt on. You know what I mean? What the fuck? And he, and he goes, but, you know, I didn't know any better. But actually, I spent a week with David at uh, Champions Gate when I, one time, and we, we got along really well. And, 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 and we laughed about things like that. But ignorance is bliss sometimes. And the same cops you would see that were security, uh, security guys on the course or policemen that were on the course in Augusta, the next week you'd see them at Hilton Head. And all of a sudden, you, they'd be fine if you were, like, you know, smoking a, a reefer in front of them. Different rules. Augusta, everything. Yeah. Same policemen, different rules. And I apologize if if everybody out there could hear the landscapers outside the studio. It's Monday, and the landscapers always come Monday. It's it's not like I don't know that, but it just seems like that's the best day that Josh and I can get it together. Different rules. And Augusta was really cool, but I tell you what, if you have one of these azaleas, which are these drinks, and they make them really strong, yeah. and, and uh, I did run into this other friend of Ernie's that had some uh, weed that was uh, used for his wife. It was medical pot and she has MS bless her. And it was really strong. So I had a bit of that. And then I had a couple of azaleas uh, while now I was you watching the rounds and I was float. I was floating uh, very much floating. So I was floating my way around Augusta. <laughs> so it's a pretty, it's a beautiful course, but you know, rich, you can take the boy out of Pittsfield, but you can't take Pittsfield out of the boy, wherever you're Why would you, you know want that? to? Is a good it would be a boring podcast. <laughs> But one of one of the things I found about Augusta, which was really interesting, you weren't supposed to you weren't supposed to scalp tickets, but they had signs, literally, buddy, where they would have buying and selling tickets. And I got to do that. Maybe that's um, what I got to do. I got to go up and scalp because I've heard you're not supposed to, but I hear people are not supposed to do a lot of things, but they still do them. No, but they do it. They do it, and the cops are right there. So I had Ernie's daughter's club pass, so I could have sold that for like forty thousand dollars for the weekend, right? 
and then just absconded, you know, to some guy. And they would have been, you know, Samantha Ells, who's only six years old at the time, right? But it was her pot. Yeah, but they thing. wouldn't know that that's Ernie's daughter. They just see the name and the card. That's all they need to see, right? Yeah. Then you go in, you hobnob with all the golfers and you get to the in, into the clubhouse and you get the better food and da da da. But it was interesting was was that you'd see neon lights, buddy. Neon lights were saying we buy and sell. I mean, it couldn't have been more in your face, you know? And as long as you didn't Got cause it. a traffic jam. So they don't fine. announce it. They actually announce you can't do it, but then they allow it. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I got to do that. So yeah. I got to do and, that. And, and, and the other thing they do, which is they do at all the opens, which people sell their front lawn as a parking area for like $75 yeah. a spot, right? Yeah, and they wreck their whole turf. Yeah, but they, they, they could wreck it. But with the money that they get, they could have a nicer front lawn for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you see all these things. But the nicest thing about when we talked about, you know, you talked about playing golf, walking around a course being, you know, with the with the with the right credentials on people talk to you. And next thing you know, you're like having conversations with guys. And as long as the heat's not on and Ernie has a decent round um, or he did, you had a great time. You what know, was it like it was when he had a bad round? Though? What, it's it's got to be like anybody yeah. having a bad round, right? He couldn't have been well, too we happy allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to talk. And you know me, I don't like to, I don't like to, I'm going to say it really loudly now and more so than ever. I don't like to take shit from, from people for no reason at all. Yeah. I don't like that. And, uh, and so when we'd get into the car after a bad round, wherever we were, every, you could see everybody not wanting to say anything. So when I first was with him, I was the guy that always broke the ice and said something and I'd get the shit for it. So I'd say, Hey, you didn't really lose, buddy. You just ran out of real estate. Oh, fuck. That's not, that wasn't a good line. Or you didn't lose. You just ran out of time. That was another bad line. Um, but you're, so, but you're yeah. saying he didn't want to hear any of that shit. But you still said her anyway because yeah, that's you know who you are. What? Right. Yeah, but that's who I am. But, you know, I thought to myself, well, and I, don't get me wrong. Ernie's a great guy, fantastic guy, you know, all the rest. But we would bump heads on that because I didn't like to take shit for no reason at all. So, you know, me, Rich, you know, you know, I'm ready, you know, in a nice way to stay, hold my ground. And if somebody like gives me some shit, I'm, it's going to build up. So the next time I have a chance to take them through a workout, if he gives me a hard time in the car or something like that, I was going to fuck him up in a nice way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you did Sergio. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't do that with Bernie, but I would do it with osteopathy or push into his IT band where it really hurt. And he was, and he was in pain. I say, fuck it. I'm just holding you down. I'm going to fucking do this. Cause you're, you're in, you're in, you're in my, you're in my court now, mate. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. Remind me not and, to piss you off. Yeah. Well, I like being pissed off cause it, it kind of helps me a bit. So, but having said all that, so yeah, so that was where there was a few tough times because you know, it's like the teacher saying, don't talk. And you go, well, I want to fucking talk now. Could you imagine you and I at, at union? Somebody said, don't laugh. Fucking don't laugh. You're yeah, not right. Fucking well, it's like you. right now, if you say don't think like an elephant, don't think of an elephant. You can't not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't touch the beer. <laughs> don't touch the beer. The beer's right in front of me. Uh, you know? um, so we were talking about when we, you and I spoke on the phone a few weeks back, you right. had made some interesting points about when you move into a place, you got to get to know the area and you got to get to know people at the lowest levels. Right. right, right. Explain that right. to me. Well, 
I would say this, that I always know people wherever I am, not the lowest levels, but it's like that Garth Brooks song, I Got Friends in Low Places, yeah? Right. And, and, and if you have friends in low places, so I work with a couple of people, one person in particular, I'm not going to mention their name, but they were like ex-mafia guy, you know what I mean? And he has this kind of, he was, his family was actually Sicilian, part of the cartel or whatever you call them, you know what I mean? And now they're legit business people. They were belonging to it, but they have a lot of association. So in this hood where I live now, I, my, the lady that was the Airbnb, which was the other end of the street here, um, you know, she heard, she said, how'd you make your money during the pandemic? Cause you work with your hands on. I heard about you. And I said, well, uh, you know, I work with some interesting people. And I met one and all of a sudden this Godfather music came on in the background almost. And she said, you work with that guy. You work with him. And the next thing you know, I'm I'm training her son. I'm releasing his elbow. He's got a he's got a golfer's elbow at this Italian restaurant down the street. And now I'm now I walk around the streets so where I got like protection. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> That's good. You know, so, so I got protection and, and they love me. And and it, my my ex um uh you know, kind of a guy that straight went to jail for a while. He's a lovely guy. And he said to me, he said, you know, if you went to jail, Josh. The screws, which they call them in jail, the policemen would love you and the convicts would love you because you could make a living because they love to train and you'd, they'd be right up your street. And he goes, I would make a few phone calls and you could have the nicest uh, cell with 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 bring your girlfriend there or any girl that you wanted to on the weekend. And you have the best food. And I just make a few phone calls. And I'm thinking, well, maybe that should be plan C. Um, I got to tell you, my whole life has been all about (laughs) not doing that. (laughs) Everything I do in my life is about, okay, if I keep doing these things, I am not going to live in prison. I mean, I certainly have higher aspirations, but that's always like whenever I'm about to make a decision, that's, oh, there's always a decision that could be made that the risk is so great, it could land you in jail. And I never take that avenue well, ever. Well, no, no, no. And I do that in a, in a facetious way, but yeah. it's quite funny because in my hometown, Rich, a lot of my ex football, you know, guys in high school and wrestlers became probation officer cops for the local jail. And there was a time in my life when I was going through my divorce and, you know, you're living hand to mouth and obviously living the way I do, there was never a salary. There was just hustling all the time. And you've got all this stress, which, you know, has obviously, which was at the height six months ago in my life. But, you know, this one guy says to me, he goes, you know, Josh, if you want a holiday, do credit card fraud and, and do your time in Pittsfield. I'll make sure you do your time in Pittsfield, Mass. And you'll have a great sell and your workout. And I'm thinking, you'll have a three-month holiday. And I'm thinking, what if I get a bad judge? And he gives me a year. Yeah, and right. how do you know you only right. You know, so yeah, right. the three hey, months thing. Whatever happened fine. to that? Talk about your buddy. You, I remember either I went to Pittsfield or you had a buddy come up. He had long black hair and a mustache. Right. Well, who was that guy? Do you remember who I'm talking about? He had long, long hair. Him. He was a buddy. I think you played football. You might have even wrestled together. And he just seemed like the two of you together was going to create big problems someplace. Oh, no. He was an ice hockey player, Kevin Maher. Kevin he was Maher. A guy, yeah, he's, right, right. He's the, he used to eat worms in Kevin. front of my kids even a few years back. He, he, Kevin, I don't know where he is right now. I don't think he'll listen to this podcast. But Kevin joined the Hells Angels and 
And I, I went to university. He went to the army. I came out. I went to Israel, came back, finished university. You know, obviously all our narratives together, all our stories together. And he joined the Hells Angels. He started getting piercing and he got pierces and tattoos. And I think he's involved with a bit of yeah, he had a bit of narcotic issues, uh, you know, like opioids, which a lot of Americans do for, for whatever reasons. But it was quite interesting because he about 25 years ago, I brought all my children to the States and he had just got a Prince Albert. You know, what Prince Albert is. Yeah, that's when you have is that where you have a um, a piercing on your dick? Yes. <laughs> right. And yeah, I do know. So what it is. I. I went over. So what the story with him was he went to Albany, New York to get it done. He had this 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 Harley that he put together himself that had really bad shock absorbers. So he had to drive 45 minutes on the way back on his Harley with no shock absorbers after getting a Prince Albert. So you imagine what that's like. OK, so now he he says, come over and you can you can see it. And I brought the children over and I took a picture. OK, kids, it's picture time. Everybody stand around Kevin and he's going to pull out his Prince Albert. Um, and the reason he took it out was, was because, um, he, when he worked construction on the Massachusetts turnpike, putting cones up in the morning or working in one of the vehicles, he had to, every time he took a pee, he had to take the swab out like you do with a pierced ear, you know, and you have to swab it with, with the witch hazel or, right. you know, alcohol. So he had to go through this process and he kept looking. And the last time I talked to him, you know how people, you know, like you and I just pick up where we left off and we laugh and stuff like that. Yeah. The last time I talked to him, I called him up just as a joke. And I used to do this thing. We used to call each other the joke. And I said, and he said, hello. And I say, hi, this is Billy. I met you on the Massachusetts Turnpike, <laughs> the restroom, and I just wanted to say hi because you gave me your number. And he goes, and then he fucking hangs up on me. Now, usually it would make a laugh. So wait, so he them. either forgot that that was your shtick or what could the other reason be that he hung up? Well, I called him back again. Yeah. And he and his wife, and she said, who do you want to speak to? I said, Kevin. He goes, Kevin's, Kevin's freaked out a little bit now. I said, well, let me speak to Kevin. It's Josh. Okay, Josh. So I said, Kevin, it's Josh. And he goes, what you fucking do that for? I said, well, I'm just joking around, man. I mean, like, what's what's the gig? And he goes, he goes, has that happened before? He goes, yeah, it happens all the time now. I'm thinking like, holy shit. I'm thinking I missed something here. (laughs) So here's what I think about him. So I remember meeting him. Now, this is goes back uh, 60. Let me see. 40 years ago. I meet a guy. 40 years ago. And everybody to me makes a certain impression. I put people in boxes. I tell this all the time. And I put, and it helps me to deal with that human being because I kind of understand what kind of personality they have, you know, where have they been before? What are they like? What are they, you know, shit like that. So after meeting this guy for a few hours, when I just asked you about him, here's what I thought you were going to tell me. He's been dead for 30 years or he's in a federal penitentiary. That's like the kind of like I he seemed like he was such a wild risk taker, not that he's a bad person, but that he had so much love of life and he was going to take so much risk that it, it's not it's not a good long term strategy. So I'm well, surprised what, what, he's still he's OK. Well, he, he almost died because at 50. Now I remember when I really last talked to him, I actually talked to him a couple of times on the phone, but not very long. The time I'm telling you about was just before. So I was with Ernie when the last time I talked to him and when I saw him, I was with Ernie Els. He was going to Hawaii and I went from Chicago to fucking Pittsfield. Right. And I went back, back home. It was the middle of winter and I called his mom 
who just passed away. She was like my second mom. She, cause we had cottages right next to each other. We grew up from the age of 10 next to each other at, on a summer lake. And we became really good friends. But having said that, um, she said, Oh, Kevin would love to hear from you. Cause he just had open heart surgery. I said, he just had open heart surgery. He goes, yeah, he almost died. He, they, he went into change of valve and he found he had an aneurysm in his heart. So I go over and visit the guy, right? And now I go over with this other guy uh, who's another great friend of mine, Joe Briel. And we used to, all three of us, be able to sit in a room in high school and just laugh our asses off about stupid shit, right? And do stupid shit. And Kevin used to drink out of the cat's bowl and really make us laugh and stuff. So now I come into the house and he's got a teddy bear on his chest because he just had his chest a week ago literally cut open to open it up, open his ribcage up and sort his heart out because he had an aneurysm. Literally, they found in his heart, right? So because he works construction, he had good insurance coverage, thank God, because, you know, in America, if he didn't, you'd lose your house, you know, so yeah. to speak. But having said that, so his wife says, don't make Kevin laugh because he has he feels like every time he takes a breath, he feels like someone's punching me in the chest. So, you know what? That's a license to make. Him oh, laugh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's so, all you needed so, to hear. So so I go upstairs with his missus because she likes to have a joint. So she we smoke a joint upstairs. I come down and and his wife says to him something like oh well at least kevin you have at least you're not like the cousin who's a small little person a midget you know a little person and you'll get over this but my cousin's only four feet high and he'll be four feet high the rest of his life yeah let me just go on the record and say that this was kevin's wife's words to give him perspective about his recovery josh and i were size agnostic and she tells the story of this four feet high little person who was in high school, who the high school football team let him get in the last game and they actually let him score a touchdown. And the opposing players let him score a touchdown. It was like a Walt Disney movie. And so I couldn't help myself. And I told the story about the one arm, one legged kicker at Hamilton College. Do you remember telling that story? No. OK, so the one arm, one legged kicker, we played Hamilton my freshman year. We sucked in football. Now, Union went on to have a better team, but I went from like an All-American in high school and we were undefeated in high school we beat the team that art monk played for and he gave me 40 stitches there was a lot of glory days i go to union college we sucked at that time so we're one in eight we're one in seven and we play hamilton college and hamilton college had according to sports illustrated that when we played them the worst team in the nation they hadn't won in nine years something like that yeah they haven't won a game right in nine years right so but they had a one-arm one-legged kicker and you know when the kick wait a minute team, when you, how do you wait I'm thinking of kicking. How do yeah. you, you need two legs to, for the ballast yeah, but it, to kick. It was prosthetic. You had a prosthetic, he had two prosthetic, he had one prosthetic leg. Oh, got it. Okay. One <laughs> leg like Jack <laughs> Imagine, so, a, I'm actually visualize him not having a prosthetic leg. That shows how stupid okay, I am. So, okay, go ahead. So check this out, check this out. So I'm telling Kevin the story and Joe, and he's looking at me going, don't fucking start with this shit, Josh. But he's holding the teddy bear against his chest because every time he goes, it hurts. You know, he goes, and he can't aspirate. So he can inhale, but he can't go because his fucking chest has been sawed open only four days ago. Right. So we're in this house, and I start telling the story about this one-on-one -on -one legged kicker, and it's a true story. And he had a prosthetic arm and a prosthetic leg, and he used to hop up and kick the ball off. Now, I'm on the receiving team at Union College now, and he's kicking the ball up. And I count over, and who the guy that I'm supposed to block is the fucking one-on-one -on -one legged kicker, right? That's my assignment, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, fuck me. If I fucking knock his ass off. You can't win. And it's like those flying You knock him down, the leg cut, you know, all of that. You look like an asshole. You miss your assignment. He tackles the guy. Now you got to deal with the coach. That's right. So what happens is, 
I just give him a little shade. And my, our player, whoever it was, you might have mentioned the guy. If I mentioned the guy, I remember the guy's name. You might have known him. He was a Delta U or whatever. He's running up the field, and he's on a breakaway. And now I've just ba- made the kicker backpedal a little bit. But he regains his balance. And like a cruise missile, he pogo sticks his way to the sidelines and throws his helmet at the guy and knocks him out of bounds. And all I hear at halftime is you can't even fucking block a guy with one arm and one leg, right? What's the fucking matter with you? You suck. You can't. That's what this whole not John Wooden moment is happening to me. So they're kicking an extra. They're kicking a field goal. We're leading by one point, Rich, seven to six, seven to six against the worst team in the nation, seven to six. And they got a field goal attempt, the one arm, one legged kicker. And I blocked the field goal. Right. And I bump into the guy. The prosthetic leg stayed on. And I'm telling the story. And all of a sudden I see Kevin crying with a fucking teddy bear against his chest. He goes, get the fuck out of the house. I can't handle this anymore. Get the fuck out. <laughs> get the fuck out of the house. Get the fuck out of the house. Get out of here. And I'm going. And so, so his wife goes, get out of the house. What are you doing? You know, you shouldn't be doing that. And so we leave the house. And me and this guy, Joey, we go off in his pickup truck. We're fucking laughing our asses off now. We are fucking literally convulsing from laughter, right? And two days later, when I get back to London, and I'm still on the tour and Ernie's back in London. He says, I call him up. I said, Kevin, how are you? He goes, he goes, fuck me. I went to the doctor and I felt like I'd been kicked in the chest by a mule. But the doctor said, holy shit, your lungs have opened up. How did that happen? He goes, these fucking guys came over to my house and made me laugh. And he goes, well, it could have killed you, but it actually did the reverse. So there um, you go. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> what is the moral of the story? I don't know. Keep laughing your way to better health. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, well, for, I can't, first of all, I can't even imagine the one arm, one legged. And look, I think prosthetics are the great, one of the greatest inventions ever. And so the fact that this guy was able to figure out how to utilize his prosthetics to get leverage, to kick a ball. I think that's fascinating. And I'm thinking yeah, yeah, he had to kick it with the, um, I guess with his, good his good leg. And the other one yeah. had to at least ballast him. So it was, that is incredible that this guy was able to do that. And then you block his kick, you demoralize the kid, and you win well, the no, game. But, but he demoralized me because yeah, I got you missed your block. For not being able, yeah, but I said this is where I did, this is where college football or football went off the radar for me because the coach was berating me. It was Everling who played it. He, it this guy I Everling. Remember, I know Everling. Wasn't he also yeah, a wrestling was, coach too? He was a re- he didn't wrestle coach, but he could was a good wrestler. Maybe Everling was my lacrosse coach my second or third year, because I know okay, the name, and I think he became a lacrosse coach. I think he did. Yeah, yeah, Maybe and not. he was a good athlete. So he got you know he got uh, Everling got in trouble when he was at Syracuse because he threw with Jim Nance two bowling balls out the window in the sixties and wanted to see the if the big one would hit the cars on the on the parking lot faster than the small one would, and they both hit at the same time. And for all of you science geeks, this was a test of Aristotle versus Galileo. Aristotle says two different objects fall at a different rate depending on the size of their mass. Galileo was like, screw that. Two objects, different mass because of gravity, fall at the same rate. Yeah, so these two geniuses are throwing different sized bowling balls off the roof to see whether Galileo or Aristotle was right. And what they learned is the length of their suspension from sports was going to be exactly the same. 
and they both got they both got benched for the big game. But the, the, the way the the way the college was then, they they got back on and they had to lead all, let all these other people that were like had 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 bank holdups play as well because to get them to play the big game. So that was football then. But he had he was saying to me, you can't. Even, I said the guy's only got one on one leg. He said I don't give a shit. He's out there. He's fair territory. If he's out there, you hit him. And I thought, you know, this is this is a fucking bit brutal. I mean, wrestling's brutal, but this is stupid right now. I'm gonna it stop. is a moral. Yeah. Well, you think about it, you pose a moral dilemma when you put that kid on the field, a contact sport. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like a, a, another sport where, let's say, you throw him the ball and he shoots it up for a shot. I get that. Right. But in football, just like like a girl wrestling guys, it's almost like the guy who has to wrestle the girl. It's like if you beat her. You're thought of as a bully. And if she beats you, you're a pussy. And so you, there's Correct. no win for that situation. Yep. But now you take this situation. The moral dilemma is, do you um, treat him like any other player on the field? Or do you have compassion that he's out on the field doing this? And I think if you have compassion, like your coach says, you're putting your team in a bad position. Well, I got to say this. I wrestled a guy my freshman year, too, with, and Jim Sutton was against Central Connecticut that was blind. And I didn't realize when you wrestle a guy that's blind, because usually they do, they can, that's one sport you can compete. You have to start with touching hands. It you makes can't sense. Because yeah, how would they know? <laughs> Otherwise, you so could take him down. He wouldn't see. Well, so that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what I said was, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to go out there and go, hey, and then run around the back of him and tackle him, you know? But you couldn't do that. So, and I, and I'm joking, but I wasn't sort of joking because I'm quite competitive. And when I, but I couldn't pin him, he had an unbelievable neck. And so I beat him in those days. You didn't have like this big point score and then you, they would cancel the match. I beat him like 25 to nothing or something like that. You know, that kind of thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't stick him on, I, I could stick him on his back, but I couldn't keep his shoulders down, but I had to give the guy credit. And afterward we talked for a bit and I said, I got to tell you something, man. You know, he goes, no, I've been blind since I was born. And, uh, and no, wrestling was one of the sports. And I thought, well, fucking well done, man. You know, cause it's in those cases, he's the, he's the champion. You know what I'm saying? He's the guy that you should take your hat off to. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's, you know, so that was an interesting experience too. So, uh, and it was also one of those moral dilemmas. If I don't, if I lose, right. I look like a real it's a moral dilemma. It's interest. It's interesting when we're positioned, you've got to give, uh, respect and praise to that person who has to overcome whatever that thing is they have to overcome. But now the moral right. dilemma is how you deal with it. Um, yeah, yeah. is, it says something about you. And yeah. so I think and it's I think okay. Too, I right. think once positioned with you or it's you or me, then you have to go with it's me, but you also have to show great respect for that human. Yeah. Which course. you did. And, after, and you said that. Yeah. Yeah, and afterward, Rich, you take away those moments, and like when you meet a guy in the golf course, like that Marine you talked about, and these people that you met, at the time you're giving them respect, but then as you do your podcast, which you do brilliantly, my friend, thank you, and then you think about what you're doing, it resonates with you even more, doesn't it, my friend? Because you you can see from the top of the mountain the valley where you've crossed, and you think, wow, that was really inspiring, and I'm really doing something I'm really passionate about, and back to what you're doing you're experiencing things on the golf course where people have time, which is very time limited world we're in. And when people have time, you get to meet people and you're enjoying things from the rich Eastern point of view. And they're very lucky to be with you, rich, because you're a very intuitive out there kind of guy. 
that you're both having this shared experience that you wouldn't have unless you had a golf game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. And I would say this, that um, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've had careers where I've enjoyed the career. It's competitive. I needed to make income to pay for a lifestyle, right? Kids, colleges, yeah. things like that. This is the most fun I've had. The great. podcasting. Uh, and it happens right. to be intertwined with golf, which is a great passion of mine. It was my dad's passion. Uh, also, it brought him a lot of frustration, which I laugh at thinking about now. He was so good. And yet when he wasn't so good, he got so mad at himself. And then when he got to the 19th hole, he had that first glass of beer or wine and he just converted back to his better self. Like he could reflect right. on the bad shots when he was out there right. doing it. He's yelling his name, he's yep. screwed, but his passion was just like my passion. So I get to do this, yep. play with people, meet people, and then talk about them. And I find pe some people just have fast have had fascinating lives and have an interesting take. Um, sometimes I praise it. Other times I shake my head, but it all makes good stories. Sure, sure. Well, it's like, it's like boxing, you know, with Muhammad Ali. Half of the people love you and half the people, you know, don't love you and want to see you lose, but everybody buys a ticket. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, because people want to listen to stuff that's a little out there. And I think we've talked about this before. You've talked about your listeners that some of the podcasts where we've talked about drugs and experience, they, they go, Oh no, that's not our thing. I lost well, an entire country. I, lo yeah, well, I, I lost all of India. <laughs> I mean, prior to our conversations about narcotics, psychedelics, things like that, the I was my Indian um, listenership, if we can call it that listeners uh, was growing and growing second to Great Britain as in terms right. of foreign countries uh, outside the United States. Right. And then all of a sudden we talked about uh, <laughs> narcotics. It was like all of a sudden it was like, boom, gone. It was like nobody listened from that. I think my last episode or two before that, I think I got two listeners from India. Thank you my friends from India, well, but I don't know what we'll, happened. We'll, you'll have more. You'll have more. Cause I'm living with a lot of Indians where I am like Sikhs and Hindus. There's a lot of people of Indian descent in this building that I'm in. But the other thing I'll say is this, if you look at the careers of Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, well forget Lenny Bruce. He was out there anyways, but Richard Pryor, George Carlin, they both started out with totally white conservative audiences and they did the usual shtick. You know, let's make people laugh, tell the usual jokes. And then all of a sudden they said, fuck it, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell, like Richard Pryor said, I'm going to tell my story. My grandmother was a, was, was a, ran a brothel, yeah? My mom was a prostitute. And this is the story. And all the white people in Vegas, same with George Carlin, who became a, you know, he told the truth about, you know, the big lie and all this stuff, as we know. I mean, he was one of these guys that I loved. Yeah, me too. Together me too. I still quote, I quote him all the time now, still. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent a kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. And it gets worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. I'll give you an example of that. There's a condition in combat most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum, can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. 
In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables, shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago. Then a whole generation went by, and the Second World War came along, and we, the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue. Four syllables now, takes a little longer to say, doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock. Shell shock. Battle fatigue. <laughs> then we had the war in Korea, 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time, and the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. <laughs> hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase. It's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. <laughs> then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen. And the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I'll bet you, if we'd have still been calling it shell shock, some of those Vietnam veterans might have gotten the attention they needed at the time. I'll bet you. Uh, you know, so, so I think the thing about it is, with those guys, they started out trying to be mainstream, and then they thought, no, I can't do this. So they won a whole new bunch of audience. And now some of those people that are alive still, that heard them then have a different take on him now. So before it's too late, Rich, I always believe, this is my thing, tell the truth, tell it like you see it, be authentic, and people either buy the whole thing or they don't buy the whole thing, or they get entertained or they don't. But, you know, we're basically good people. We'll help an elderly person across the road. We'll do the right thing with people. So we've had a little bit of an experience. Thank God we did. Otherwise, life would be very boring. Yeah, and I think we call bullshit on things when we see it and knowing there's a risk of doing that. But I think the satisfaction we get in just telling the story is, I think, is greater than the possible risk of scaring a few people off or yeah, getting people a few people annoyed. It's freedom, buddy, because you know this. When you work for your sex industry people— you couldn't tell them everything that's the truth, but now you can. Because when I worked in the sex it? industry, nobody told the truth. It was right, the exactly. oddest industry I've ever worked in. And obviously, people are interested in the whole pornography piece of it and the sex industry itself. But this, you know, separate of people on film doing uh, pornography, the business itself the distribution of the, all the ancillary businesses, like mine was an ancillary business, you know, sex toys. It was an industry of people that were brought up uh, early in their lives breaking the law that lied to each other to their faces, that made a deal and lied immediately and then made a deal with somebody else. And, you know, that really hurt the first person they had the meeting with and the deal with. And they didn't care. And it was just, for me, it was an eye-opener that it's not everything, you know, you see films, you see people on film, but the behind the scenes was a, a, a great deal of people that couldn't tell the truth. 
And so that to me, if I had to sum up that industry, it was just, man, liars. Some are just better liars than others, but everybody was a liar. Well, on that note, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're telling our truth, and it's right. been it's been great to kind of talk about this. But I say this, Rich, for as long as I have on this planet, I'm going to tell people the truth as I see it as much as I can. I'll feel, I'll hedge my bets when the girlfriend asks about, do I look fat in this dress? However, I will say this, that I'll say, well, what do you think, darling? Because I love you just the way you are. And I'll be with girls or women, I should say, and you will too, that would in the long run would want to take care of themselves. So it's in their interest that if they think, you know, what do you think is the most important thing? Because a woman won't want to be with you unless she feels good about herself in a sexual way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I would say, honey, you look wonderful in that dress because at that moment, it wasn't the time to tell them something that was going to benefit them in the future. It was, do they feel good going out that night? And then a day or so later, when the opportunity was right, you know, we would both uh, put down our forks and put on our sneakers. You've been listening to the Josh and Rich segment from Tales. Stay tuned to more of our life's adventures. I invite you to subscribe to my website, Tales from the First Tee. That's the word first spelled out with an F, like F me, I suck at golf some days. Or go to your favorite streaming platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, most any of them, and subscribe to that. That way, I won't have to hunt you down and alert you of my next episode. And as always, I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful, sunny, and now buggy as all get out, Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.